In this time of the COVID-19 pandemic, many of you live your lives based on what you think may happen tomorrow, whether you still have a place to stay, a job to go to, or a car to drive, the money for your rent or your mortgage, food to eat on your table, things of that nature. And we place such a high value on the things that we believe will guarantee us a happy and a peaceful tomorrow. Your choices and your decisions are always about tomorrow. And when we live in that way, we often fail to appreciate what is happening right now, today. You and I, like most people, place a high value on the things we believe will guarantee us the kind of peace and security that we will need in order to get through the tomorrows of our lives. But how do we really know the value of something? How do you know that something is actually worth what we believe or think that it's worth? How do we really even know? There's one way, and we do that by making an evaluation, by looking at the benefits of those things and compare them with the cost. In other words, if something has a high value, it means that the benefits far outweigh the cost. If the benefits are high and the cost is low, then we place a high value on that thing, whatever it may be. Now, there's an adage that says one man's garbage is another man's treasure. And the reason why this is true is because the value that is placed on something is purely subjective in nature. What I think is important may not be what you think is important. And we go through our lives placing values on things based on our own subjective point of view. And that's the reason why what one man thinks is valuable, another man thinks is nothing more than garbage. But the true value of something can never ever be determined because it depends on what you want it for, which is what I mean by subjective nature. Here's an example of what I mean. Let's say you need to go from point A to point B, and what lying before you are two modes of transportation. There's a Mercedes-Benz on the one hand, and there's a donkey on the other hand. Now, you want to get from point A to point B, and like me and most of you, you're probably thinking the higher value item or mode of transportation is the Mercedes-Benz. But the question then becomes, what if going from A to B means that you want to go from the bottom of a mountain to the top of a mountain? Then all of a sudden, the value on the Mercedes is no longer higher than that of a donkey. The point that I'm making to you is that it's simply that the purpose of a thing is actually what determines its true value. What you need something for and its ability to do what you expect or would like it to do is what actually gives it its true value. What you need something for finds its true fulfillment 
in the actualization of its purpose. And so today, I want to talk a little bit about value and the things that we value. As the scripture was read from Luke's gospel, the 12th chapter, 13 through the 21st verses, I, I want to just lift up verse 20 and 21. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So on this issue of the things we value, I'll be speaking on the subject I'm using as a title, Our True Treasure. Our True Treasure. And I hope to show you that there's only one treasure that really has any real value. Let us pray. Most gracious, heavenly, and eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we have now come to the preaching hour. Lord, you know what I have prepared in my heart to deliver to your people for such a time as this. I have no idea, Lord, to whom I am preaching. But I pray, Lord, that through your providence and through your grace, that these words will find the heart that has been prepared to receive these words. I pray, Lord, that I will have been faithful to what you have asked me to do. Now, Lord, do what only your Holy Spirit can do. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning of the text, as it was read, we are told that someone from the crowd asked Jesus to tell his brother to divide the family inheritance with him. Without reading too much into the text, we can quickly discern a few things that we know about Palestinian culture during the time of Jesus. Just from that first opening statement, we know a few things about the text. Number one, the someone who is asking the question of Jesus is a younger brother. He's a younger brother of someone else. This is important because we know that the older brother would have the authority to divide the family's inheritance. He, younger brother, has no authority in that regard. That's the one first thing that we understand. The second thing we understand is that if the older brother is being asked to divide the family inheritance, then it means that the father or the patriarch of the family has died. We understand that in Palestinian culture that the father has all authority. And therefore, if the older son is now given that authority, which belongs to the father, then the father would have died. That's the second thing we can glean from this text. The third thing that we need to understand from this text is that the older brother always gets a double portion. Why? By being the firstborn. By being the firstborn, you get the best of everything. If nothing is left for chance. The older brother gets everything, and then all those who follow the older brother, the younger brother, gets what we call their fair share. They get their fair share. So, because we know these few things, we know something about this younger brother. What we know about this younger brother is that he is not satisfied with his fair share. That's important. The younger brother is not satisfied with his fair share. And because he is not satisfied with his fair share, it means that he wants more than his fair share for himself. More than his fair share. Now, if you notice, I keep repeating the word 
fair share. Right, by saying fair share, it means that he has what was coming to him. Many of us in this life, we look around and we wonder, what is my fair share? And whether or not you have your own fair share doesn't change the fact that many of us live our lives wanting more than our fair share. What is our fair share? It is very subjective. The truth of the matter is there are some people, some of us, who live in beautiful homes. And there are some of us who don't live in any homes at all, right? Now, in the providence of God, would you or I consider that to be fair? But think about it for a moment, that if someone does not live anywhere and would be grateful just to live somewhere, now, think about it for a moment. If they would just be grateful enough to live somewhere, think about what's going on in their mind when they hear someone who lives somewhere say that they want more than their fair share. Do you see what I'm talking about? What I'm saying is this fair share is something that has a, has a way of pointing us not just to justice, but also to this issue that many of us deal with in life, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, and that thing is called greed. Greed. It is not enough that the younger brother is not satisfied with his fair share. But it is even worse that he wants more. Now look at what Jesus says to him. In verse 14, Jesus says, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? This is important because, because what you may not quickly see is that Jesus recognized that the younger brother did not want anything more from him, meaning Jesus, than to have Jesus co-sign his greedy request. You see, many times when we want more, we go to look for someone to judge in our favor. Why? Because we want them to co-sign our foolishness. So Jesus says, who made me your judge? That's what Jesus first said. But the second thing that Jesus says is, uh, he says, or am I your arbitrator? Now, that's an important word. Because an arbitrator is always the person who brings two parties together. And when they bring two parties together, they try to resolve a dispute. Now, what you need to understand about an arbitrating process is that when two people are brought together with an arbitrator, it simply means that each party has equal standing validated by the arbitrator. So Jesus is saying, I'm not your arbitrator. I'm not going to bring both of you together. I'm not going to validate your request. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not your judge, meaning I'm not co-signing your foolishness, and I'm not your arbitrator, meaning I'm not validating your request. Many of us don't understand why sometimes God is silent and quiet when we cry out to him. It's because we either want God to co-sign our foolishness or we want him to validate our invalid request. Now, you know what I'm talking about. You understand the intents of your hearts and I understand the intents of mine. For example, you may say to Jesus something like, and I'm talking to you. You may say to Jesus something like, Lord, can you please let me have that man or that woman, even though that man or woman is married? Now, Jesus is going to say to you, who appointed me judge and arbitrator over you. In other words, I'm not going to co-sign a request from you that is invalid. I'm not going to be your judge and I'm not going to be your arbitrator in this particular case because what you are coming to me with, you have no business coming to me with in the first place. Second thing you may say to Jesus is, Lord, show me a sign that I should forgive 
my mother or my brother, or my father, or my sister, or my cousin. Show me a sign, Lord, that I should forgive. Well, Jesus would turn to you and say, forgive, and it will be forgiven of you. So in other words, Jesus doesn't change his mind about how he arbitrates over us. But the fact of the matter is, we come to God sometimes with requests that we have no business coming to him about. Case in point, let's do one more. You say, Jesus, the person is a liar and a thief, and they should go to jail. Jesus says, do not condemn. Or you yourself, by the same measure that you are condemning others, you too will be condemned. You see what I'm saying? There's a pattern in the way that Jesus manages the affair of his saints. The problem is not Jesus. The problem is you and me. The problem is, where is our heart? The problem is, what is it that we are coming to Jesus with? And when Jesus is silent, sometimes it's really for our own good. Why? Because we, if he were to give us everything that we ask him for, if God were to give us everything that we ask him for, believe me when I tell you, our hearts are so desperately wicked that we would be dealing with much worse than COVID-19. That's how evil the intent of the heart of man really is. And so Jesus is really, really, really deliberate and intentional about how he's dealing with this person on this issue of greed. It shows us our true nature. Now, now the thing that we notice is that immediately after Jesus chastises the younger brother for his greed, Jesus then turns to the people. Now, remember, there was a crowd there along with the disciples. So the younger brother comes to Jesus, and after Jesus chastises him, Jesus then turns to the crowd, meaning everybody else, you and me, everybody else, and Jesus addresses the same issue of greed, but albeit from a different perspective. Here's what Jesus says. He then said to them, beware, and be on your guard, watch this, against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Now, before I dissect this for you, I want you to understand something. Far too many of us believe that because we have a nice house, a nice car, a nice whatever good education, we have an abundance of wonderful things by the standard of this world. We believe that that validates who we are. In other words, I am important and I am somebody. Yes, I'm wearing a fancy robe. Therefore, you have to respect me. Listen, Jesus is clear. He says, not even if one has an abundance of stuff, whatever that may be, does his life consist of his possessions. You're wanting more of what you already have is not only a measure of your greed, but it's also a measure of how your heart is wicked. Now, you don't like hearing that. So Jesus says, guard against every form of greed. How many forms of greed are there? Well, just in our text, I want you to see something. It is both greedy to want more than what you have, but it's also greedy to also want to keep more of what you don't need. Two forms of greed. It is both greedy to want more than what you have, but it's also greedy to want to keep more of what you don't need. That's what's going on in the text. Two types of greed. And Jesus is saying, be on your guard from both types of greed. So the next obvious question becomes why? Why should we be on our guard? 
Why should we keep our God? And this is where Jesus then tells the parable of the rich fool. In the parable, Jesus says, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, chill out, relax, be at peace, drink and be merry. You have made it to the top of the food chain. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? A surface reading of this parable reveals the obvious point that one day, of course, we all are going to die and therefore we should not waste our time building up all of this material possessions. That is one way of, of reading it for someone else is going to own and live in your house, etc. That is one way of reading the text. And it's a good takeaway from the text, and it's a good message for us to uh, adhere to. But after talking about greed, Jesus tells this parable of the man he calls a fool. And to understand it, you have to look at how the parable begins. It begins by saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops. In other words, this man had done everything right by the world's standards. This man was going about being what he needed to be to be prosperous. This man went to the best schools, the best colleges. He got his degree. He graduated. He got the Wall Street job or whatever kind of job he was looking for. He got his life was perfect. He did everything the way society asks him to do it. But, but when he got to this place, he began to reason to himself about what to do with his great wealth. In other words, he got to the place. He got to the place where he no longer had a purpose for his accumulation. See, he no longer now needed all of the abundance that he had. He no longer had a purpose for his accumulation. And even worse, he had nowhere to store it. Nowhere to put it. Now, remember what I told you at the beginning of the sermon about the car and the donkey. The purpose of a thing is what actually determines its value. So if you've got all this stuff that you've accumulated and you've got no purpose for it, no reason for it, then guess what? It has little to no value. So here we have a rich man who does not know what to do with the thing that he's got. In this case, crops. And to be sure, it doesn't mean that the crops itself doesn't have any value. Crops are important, of course. It means that he has no need for the extra crops and nowhere to store it. So because the purpose of his crops is uncertain, because all the stuff that you have accumulated in your life, you've got no use for it, you've, you're not sure what to do with it, the idea now is let me tear down what I've got and rebuild something bigger that can hold the stuff that I really don't need. Do you see the foolishness that is going on here? I have more than what I need. I have nowhere to store it. So let me tear down what I have, build something bigger so I can have more of what I don't need. That is how the world lives. The world lives on a principle of accumulation. The more I can get, the more I can make, the more I can do is the better I can feel about myself. And I'm telling you, it is the basis of greed and it is the basis of pride. 
It is the thing that got Satan kicked out of heaven and our world economy, particularly this capitalist ideal. It lives off of more and more accumulation, which is antithetical to the kingdom of God. So the problem Jesus is showing here is that this man is placing his faith, his peace, and his security in what he thinks will be there for him tomorrow. He believes that building the bigger barn, having all the stuff he needs, is going to be there for him tomorrow. Living for tomorrow. I can't see today because I'm focused on tomorrow. He doesn't realize that his life is alone, just like yours and mine. It's alone. And God gave it, and, and because of that, what you and I have is not our own. God has blessed us with some abundance, not so that we can sit on our laurels and be fat, rich, dumb, and happy, and be merry, but so that in the providence of God, the capacity that he has given to you to have all the things you have should be in the service and benefit for someone else. Now, I don't know who the someone else is, but what I do know is that the someone else is not you or me. Yes, I got the education. Yes, I got the good job. Yes, I've got all the things that makes my life comfortable in some way. But is this all life is about? Is the value going to be determined, be determined by how much more stuff I can get? Don't you know that your life is on loan? And what if your life was required of you tonight, as in the case of this fool? All of the efforts that you have made in trying to accumulate goes for naught. Why? Because the purpose, if the purpose of a thing is not known, then where is its true value? Over the years, you, like me, have probably learned some things. You've probably been to some places, had some experiences. You've probably seen some things and understand some things. But be careful, my brothers and sisters, that what you have learned, what you have seen, where you have been, don't let that cause you to think that you know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Be very, be very mindful that you do not become so full of yourself that you think that you have all the answers to all the dilemmas and to all of life's challenges that you face and end up making choices and decisions that fail to take into consideration the providential nature of God. We have but a short window in order to do the things that God has ordained for us to do in this life. So the question becomes, how are you living? How are you living? How are you going about making sure that your life, which is not your own, and all the abundance that you have, which is not your own, is being utilized in a way that brings value and glory to the kingdom of God? How are you living? Clearly, in our parable, the rich farmer is foolish. He has surrendered to his own will and to his own desires, to his own plans to prepare for something that he cannot predict. But Jesus wants us to understand that our plans, our desires, our wills are flawed at best. 
at their very best, they are flawed. Jesus wants you to do that, understand that. And the kingdom of God is the only future that matters, and it is in securing that future in the kingdom of God. That and that alone is what will last. That's why we preach. That's what we are instructed as people who God has imbued with his Holy Spirit to bring a message of hope to those who may feel they are hopeless. For why? Their God is no respecter of person. And so while you may live in a nice house or you may live in a no house or the outhouse, the fact of the matter is that if both are looking forward to the consummation of all things where faith finds its perfect perfect expression, then everyone has a basis of hope. That's what Jesus means to all of us. This is my appeal to you. You know, it's a, a good way, and I was thinking about this last night, a good way of processing this is like, when you've had like a Thanksgiving dinner, I don't know if you, some of you have had, you know, Thanksgivings where, you know, when my wife prepares Thanksgiving dinner and the turkey, I mean, it's just phenomenal. It is so good. And, and, and like me, I love the leftovers. Oh, my goodness, the leftovers are phenomenal. But, but it's like you enjoy the Thanksgiving feast. And then you say, you know what, this turkey is so good, I'm going to preserve it and keep it till next year's Thanksgiving because it was so good. I'm going to preserve this wonderful Thanksgiving turkey that I'm enjoying right now so that I can enjoy it again next year. Now, you're probably all laughing. Why? Because you know that by the time you get to next year's Thanksgiving, if that turkey ain't moldy, it's going to grow wings and fly out of your house. It is worthless. Why would you store up something? Miss the moment of enjoying it today. Putting it aside, thinking that tomorrow or next year, I'm going to be able to enjoy the same kind of benefit right now, next year. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. So I'm trying to help you understand, brothers and sisters, that if you are able to take advantage of the moment right now to live in the present, to maximize your relationships and all the things that God has placed in your life right now in front of you, you don't need to worry about whether or not you can enjoy it tomorrow. Why? Because the truth of the matter is, only God holds tomorrow. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of his righteousness and all the things that you need will be added unto you. This is really my appeal. So, so the Bible is clear that death will come to all of us. And, and, and while we yet await it, that old serpent, Satan, the devil, Lucifer, the one who feeds on the corpses of our human soul, he is busy at work and he's coming with all of his fury. But there is good news. There is really good news. And here it is. The good news is that there is a treasure that you can store up for yourself that has a value that is rooted in its purpose, but not in your purpose, but in God's purpose. There is this treasure that we are told that you, you can redeem it and enjoy it even today, but you are guaranteed that it will be there tomorrow. You see, you see, the dictionary defines treasure as something valuable, special, of great worth that is hidden, hidden, right, or kept in a very safe place. 
That's how the dictionary defines treasure. But, but, but this treasure I'm talking about is not like money or, or houses or that Mercedes-Benz or even a donkey or anything like that. It's a different kind of treasure that can never be so small that you remain dissatisfied like the younger brother. It's not that kind of treasure where you, you think you, you haven't gotten your fair share. It's, it's not that kind of treasure. Or, or, or you don't get complacent like the rich fool thinking that you have so much of this treasure that you got to figure out where am I going to store some of it. It, it. This treasure is neither for the younger brother in that way or the or the. Or the, or the farmer in that way. Th th this treasure is different. You see, this treasure is inextinguishable, inexhaustible. This treasure is the gift that keeps on giving. This is the treasure that the Bible tells us that we have this treasure in this earthen vessel, meaning your human bodies. This treasure is something that can only come through your free will. This treasure is something that God from the foundation of the world prepared for you and for me, knowing that while these earthly things are all going to pass away, this treasure will remain. You see, this treasure has been through the fire. This treasure has been through the rain. This treasure has been through the flood. This treasure is nothing more than the blood. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all unrighteousness, is that one true treasure that whether I said you're in the big house or the outhouse, whether you have this or you have that, whether you are in lack or whether you are in abundance, does not change the fact that this treasure is going to be there for you no matter what. It is the basis of the Christian hope. It is the place where no matter how much the storm is raging all around us, this treasure allows us to be able to recognize that for you, he lived. And for you and me, he died. And because he died and rose again on the third day, what he's saying is the same resurrection power that raised him from the dead is the same resurrection power that is available for you and for me. It will raise you up out of your most dire of situations. Why? Because Jesus, in his word, says, I have come that they, you and me, may have life and have it more abundantly. He is our true treasure. He, he is our peace in the storm. He is our hope in times of despair. He is our bridge over troubled waters. He is our way maker, uh, uh, our miracle worker, our light in the darkness. He is our friend in need and a friend indeed. He is our deliverer from the fiery darts of the enemy, our constant companion. And he is, most of all, our Savior. And his name is Jesus. He is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. He is our true treasure. And so, my brothers and my sisters, as I leave you with this one thing to remember, the purpose of a thing is, not, is, is, is actually what determines its value. What you need something for finds its true fulfillment in the actualization of its purpose. Jesus, our Messiah, actually came, born in a manger, lived among us, Emmanuel, God with us, came before Pontius Pilate, was suffered, crucified, bled, hung on a cross, died, took him to a borrowed tomb, rolled a stone and sealed it, 
But on the third day, the Bible tells us a stone was rolled away. And, and, and I tell people, the stone wasn't rolled away so that Jesus could come out. Jesus transcended matter, all matter. The stone was rolled away so that the witnesses could come in. You and I can come in. You and I can see this wonderful, wonderful expression of grace that was sung about earlier and love. And that grace is available to you today. And so my brothers and my sisters, stop worrying about tomorrow. Stop trying to accumulate what you can because if your soul were required of you tonight, all the stuff, all the headache, all the anxiety that you have over what you don't have and over what you can't even keep won't worth, be worth it. Jesus is the only thing that matters. And so I want to offer to you today the opportunity to get the real treasure, our true treasure. I want you to have that treasure today. For the first will be last, and the last will be first. That's what his word says in the kingdom. So if you've heard this message, and it has penetrated your heart in some way, if a lot of what I've said to you today makes sense, then don't credit that to me. Credit that to the Holy Spirit that has opened up your heart so that you may see the true treasure, the true treasure that lies within you.